Morning, church. My name is Pastor Scott. We are proud to be partners with World Relief and Welcoming Refugee. Uh, Melissa, the star of the video, is going to be available after service if you have any questions around how to get involved in uh, this Good Neighbor Team 2.0. We're very proud of Bethany North and Bethany Northeast. We'll be welcoming a refugee family. We're looking for volunteers that would think, hey, this is something God might be calling me to. Nathan and Lena are here. Are they serving somewhere? They're here. And uh, thank you guys for all you did, along with Melissa, just to be hands and feet to Christ. And I love the video because you're kind of laughing at yourself, and it, it felt like a lot, especially with five kids in tow now. Um, but thank you so much for all you're doing. And we all are looking, uh, if God has put this call in your life, uh, stop and see Melissa afterwards. There's an informational meeting in a couple weeks just to come and ask more questions. Uh, now let me pray, and we will uh, we'll dive into the material today. Lord God, thank you so much for the chance to open your scriptures, and we pray today, Lord, that you would give us uh, ideas and tips and practices about how to grow our faith. Uh, Lord, we, we are mindful that there's a lot coming at all of us each and every day, but for these moments ahead, may we listen well, and may you encourage us, Lord, to come and dwell at the feet of you. In your name we pray, amen. We're in a series called Sustainable Faith about looking at the spiritual practices that the church has used for 2,000 years in order to build our faith. Some of you are like, I'm new or I haven't heard all of these series. So you're kind of catching us in the middle of the series, which is wonderful. Today, we will look at two specific practices. This is Sustainable Faith Week 5. We're looking at the practice of fasting and service. And with each of the weeks, we are taking two different disciplines, one that's kind of an inward discipline or an inhale principle with breathing and uh, pairing it with an external or an exhale uh, principle. And so our faith is always meant to be changing us on the inner parts and then it's always meant to be changing us in how we engage the world. So today it's fasting and service. And I'll just say at the beginning, I don't know if you've had this experience, but a question I'll ask you, has you ever been so hungry that you can't even think straight? Have you ever been so hungry you can't even think straight? Or for some, so tired you can't think straight? For us, when our, when our uh, mental capacity feels compromised, we feel di- dysregulated. And I had this experience a couple summers ago. I was trying fasting. And I was fasting in the middle of the summer. I was fasting with a specific purpose because I wanted God to give me some clarity. At the time, we were trying to sell our fishing business. And so I was fasting with a pretty specific thing I wanted God to do. And I knew that this was going to be my fast day. I knew I'd worked about two weeks straight, about 20 hours a day. So I wasn't exactly in my best state. Uh, but I had my fast day. As I woke up this morning, the wind was blowing. Now, this is a problem because we needed to get a float plane in. And it was blowing about 50. And the way were about four to six feet of the dock, but to get a seaplane tied to the dock, that's too much. Now, what's the problem, you ask? We had a bunch of guests at our fishing lodge I was working that needed to be able to fly out. So we need to land the plane so the guests can leave, and the staff who's worked for two weeks, I was the boss, they're ready for a night off. So I'm fasting, but instead of feeling more compassionate, more loving, more full of the Holy Spirit, I just was hangry. I was, you know, I was so like hungry, angry. I was, you know, the plane came in. I'm yelling at the pilot. The plane's against the dock. He actually breaks off the rear rudder of the plane. The pilot looks at me. He's like, I don't know if we're going to leave at all. So what's going to be supposed to be an evening off for my staff now, he, I'm, I'm kind of understanding that because of my decisions, they might be staying with us for 24 hours. The staff's looking at me. I'm hangry with them. Instead of being full of the spirit, I'm just angry everywhere. You know, and I'm like, God, you know, I was fasting today for some spiritual insight. And all I really feel is frustrated. Well, like the passage from Isaiah 58, 
be wary of employing spiritual disciplines with a shopping list. Be wary of employing different tactics of growing your faith, but not really opening your heart as a servant. Because the nation of Israel, they were doing the stuff of religion, but as Isaiah says there, but their hearts weren't about justice and compassion for other people. They were literally fasting and then striking their workers. As God's people, we're called to be repairers of the breach, stepping out in service, that our life is lived on mission for others, but all of it comes from the inhale practices of spending time with Jesus Christ in order not to do more stuff, but to be more like Jesus. And if, the, if that's kind of a rubric for us to look at these two disciplines today of, of fasting and service, something that many of us in the room already do service, fasting many of us don't do, how do these things hang together, both of which are reminders that our life is meant to be lived in response and service to a high king. We don't want you doing a bunch of stuff. We want hearts that are be able to be servants like Christ was a servant to us. And so today, as we look at fasting, as we look at service, I want to just come to, with this big idea that we need Christ now more than ever. How might we get more of Jesus in our life? I want to encourage you, church, recover the lost art of fasting. And I want us to grow into the call to serve as we honor the King. Let's take a look at the inhale practice, recovering the lost art of the fast. And for some of you in the room, you're like, hey, nothing's lost. I continue to fast. I talked to a couple of people between services. They said, thanks for the reminder. It's been some time. But by and large, many people in church ignore fasting. What is fasting? You're like, I'm kind of new. Or what are we, are we talking about food? Are we talking more than food? Fasting in the scripture is deliberately removing stuff in order to grow faith. And most time in the scripture, fasting is neglecting meals or food for a period of time to lean more on God. Though there's other ways for us to practice fasting, we'll talk next week about simplicity, we'll talk about social media, we'll talk about different things that we can kind of step back in order to feed more on Christ. This is what the church practices often in the season of Lent leading up to Easter. We give something up for Lent. You know, give up caffeine, we give up coffee, we give up sugar, we give up chocolate in order to hopefully experience more of Christ and the power of his resurrection. Today we're really talking about fasting, removing meals in order to grow in our faith in Jesus Christ. Where does this come from script scripturally? Well, the nation of Israel in the book of Leviticus, they were told to hold the sacred assembly and deny themselves. Joel 2, return to me, says God, with fasting for remorse of discipline. And so there are, you know, just what's the reality in both the Old and the New Testament, there's not so much a bunch of commands to fast, more of just a practically God's people have always employed for 2,000 years, for more than 2,000 years, they've employed fasting in order to grow their faith. But the challenge, church, is this. The, the, the fasting, food fasting, meal fasting, is largely neglected by the church at large and this church in particular. The fasting is something that we know, oh yeah, the church has done this for 2,000 years. Yes, the scriptures are full appeal of fast, but in general, the church at large and this church in particular largely ignore fasting. Pastor Richard wrote a book on spiritual disciplines called O2 that we're using as a model for this faith. We're going to do a men's group in January and February where we're going to study O2, spiritual disciplines, more information coming. Like, we, got, we have an author, Senior Pastor Richard. He wrote the book. Well, what does he say about fasting? He didn't write about it at all. Why? Because he said he didn't want to write about something that he wasn't practicing. 
And I don't say that to throw them under the bus because in my own life, there's big, long seasons where I don't practice it at all either. We had a, a theology, we call it, where the staff comes together and studies the scripture every week, the staff from all six locations. And a couple weeks ago, during our theology session, we were talking about fasting. Now, these are ministry staff sitting around a table. And as I asked them the question, so tell me about your experiences. Anything, you know, I know we're not supposed to really talk about it or brag about it, but like anyone, any, you know, no. Other than some people that had done it in high school, the 30-hour famine that people have participated in, largely, the church at large, this church in particular, ignore fasting. Why? Why? Well, you know, we don't, we don't need fasting. We don't need these things. We need Jesus. We're, you know, we, we kind of live with the full reality of the resurrected Christ inside, inside of us. But I want to challenge this church that these, these spiritual disciplines, these aren't for the holier than thou. These aren't for the perfect ones. They're for the hungry ones. And the church has practiced spiritual disciplines like fasting in order to grow in the faith since the beginning. Because oftentimes we're like, well, I'm not sure I need that, but I, you know, I want to challenge us. Are we missing some depth and intimacy with Jesus because we're just kind of often doing the same thing? Because the challenge and the reality is, is that fasting awakens your faith. Fasting awakens faith in the scriptures. And so people wanting more faith, I want to encourage you, Try fasting. We're going to talk about this. I know it's like, wow, that's kind of big, but stay with me. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, when you pray, when you give, when you fast, there's this assumption that part of Christian devotion means employing the gifts of, uh, and the, the use of prayer and of fasting and of giving. And, and Jesus just makes these assumptions that, that when we follow him, that our life will have certain markers that we'll look a little different than our neighbors, that we'll actually, we'll practice some of this stuff. And fasting is one of these things. Uh, if we could start at the beginning, the reality is, is that life is a gift. Everything in our life is a gift from, from God Most High. If we look at the creation narrative, we think about God creating the garden and he puts a smack in the middle and he says, other than the tree of the knowledge of good evil, like some stuff will destroy you. Don't, don't eat that, but everything else is good. Enjoy it, it's a gift enjoy good food, read Ecclesiastes, enjoy good wine if you're a wine person or grape juice if you're not, enjoy fellowship, enjoy if you're married and it's the right contest, enjoy sexual intimacy, though the church is like, well, I don't know what we do. I mean, enjoy it, the gifts. Like God didn't make us on accident. He gave us flesh and bones and he says, you know, I made this earth for you to enjoy it and that the gifts would point to the giver. But the challenge is that oftentimes the gifts can become distorted. I mean, obviously, like with, with, with sex, I mean, there's so much distortion. As we see in our society, that, you know, a couple weeks back, the big Me Too campaign where we just see how, how rampant abuse is in our culture and how many women and men have been preyed upon by someone else. It's just, it's wrong. It's a distortion. It's not okay. And food is the same thing. For many of us, we have a distorted relationship with food because something that somebody said to us, we underfeed ourselves or, or often we can overfeed ourselves. That the gift of food being something that we would eat and give thanks to God, there's people literally hungry in our community. We should eat, and we should give thanks. Oh, you mean we should just pray where we're not really, no, no. We should literally sit over that bowl of soup and say, thank you, Jesus. It's a gift pointing to the giver. But many of us, many of us, we have this distorted relationship with food. It was in the summer. I forget exactly what we were talking about. It felt relevant at the time. I shared a story of a girl who, who called me fat. 
And I said that I remembered those words that I couldn't ever unhear those words. Those words stayed with me. And at times it feels like when I get really stressed, oh yeah, I just go and pray more. Ah, sometimes I go and eat more and just self-medicate for like junk food. I don't even like, it's like unconscious. I'm like standing at the pantry, like shoving food in my face. And I communicated in the summer that some of that is born out of just an unhealthy self-image. Honestly, And I had a couple men in particular after the service come up and just say, Scott, thank you for sharing that. We don't talk about the distortion of our relationship with food at all, particularly from the male lens. For many of us, we have this distorted relationship with food, but I I want to challenge you, church, that what you turn to when you're stressed will become your comfort. What you turn to in moments of disconnection will become more of the thing that you need in your life. And so if you're constantly turning towards social media instead of to real relationships, you'll find yourself more and more hungry for real relationship. John Gottman's marriage relationship, there's a, there's a term, it's literally called turning towards. Seems pretty simple. But in times of conflict, though everything in us wants to turn away, we're called actually to turn towards because what you turn towards in disconnection will become your comfort. So when you're stressed, when you're worried, when you're angry, when you're frustrated, are we as a church turning more towards Christ? When we fast, we practice turning towards Christ because we will hunger. It's impossible to not even skip a meal and not hunger. And every hunger becomes a prayer and every prayer becomes an opportunity for more faith to grow in you. This is how it works. This is why the church did it in scriptures. It wasn't to be holier than thou. It wasn't to be religious. It was because they were hungry they wanted more Jesus in their lives. And so if you want more Jesus in your life, if you want, you know, Jesus, I want some clarity on something I'm facing, then we fast. Not because we're perfect, but because we know when we fast, we get an opportunity to pray. And when we pray, we turn towards God and he'll grow faith in us. And a lot of times it's slow, imperceptible. It's not the lightning bolt that we may desire. When Jesus was setting off in his ministry in both the book of Matthew and Luke, it says that Jesus fasted 40 days. Obviously pretty heavy duty. I wouldn't recommend that kind of coming out of the chute. Don't start that tomorrow. But uh, Jesus had obviously trained his body. And, and why did Jesus fast to start his ministry? Because he wanted to be totally dependent on the power of the Holy Spirit. He wanted to be totally present to who his father said he was. And if you notice, when Satan, when Jesus comes out of the wilderness, or still in the wilderness, Satan's temptation, what? What was it? Bread. Because like Paul said to the church in Philippians, that, that for many of us, our God is our stomach. And so Satan says, here's some bread. And Jesus says, no, it's said in the scriptures that thou won't live by bread alone. So Jesus makes this assumption. If you're going to follow me, then at times I'm going to ask you to fast in small or big ways. So Jesus says this in Matthew 6, verses 16 to 18. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do. They disfigure their faces to show the others they're fasting. Truly, I tell you. They receive their reward in full, but when you, there's the win about prayer, about giving, about fasting. It's just, a, it's just part of the Christian life. We are asked to do this. When you fast, as Jesus, put oil on your head, basically put on your deodorant and wash your face so it will not be obvious to others that you're fasting, but only to your Father who's unseen and your Father who's seen what's done in secret will reward you. What's the reward? Don't fast with the shopping list. Jesus, I want you to fix this situation. Fast with the hunger. Jesus, I want my faith to grow. And when you do, the promise of scripture is the reward is more faith. And the prayer of fasting 
turns towards the hunger. God, I want to turn towards you more. We'll get more faith. It'll grow in us. It's a promise. It's an encouragement. You remember in, in Acts 9, the first time fasting is mentioned in Acts, and it's mentioned many times, but is when Saul, who's been persecuting the church as a Pharisee uh, of, uh, of the religious you know, higher power, when he's Damascus Road, light breaks through. Jesus shows up. Jesus speaks to him. He's blinded. Saul becomes Paul, and he's blinded. And in blindness, what does Acts 9 say Paul does? He fasts. And so when you're blind... When there's something you can't see, something in your relationship, something spiritually, something vocationally, might you try, as the church has always done, that fasting would awaken your faith and that you would turn towards Christ to help understand even skipping a meal and turning that meal time towards prayer can open up more faith in your life. Three takeaways I want to give you about fasting before we do tips. First, fasting helps us remember our identity as a child of the high king. Fasting helps me remember my identity as a child of the high king because it will require of you a power you don't have on your own. Physiologically, what happens when you fast is your body is literally feeding off stored fats. And so when you're fasting spiritually, you'll turn yourself how to survive in lean times and how to listen and discern for the voice of your heavenly father who's always speaking to you. Acts 13, the church is growing. The church in Antioch, it says, while they fasted, the spirit moved. And so when we fast, it helps us remember our identity. We're children of a high king. Secondly, fasting leads to freedom where bonds are broken. Where where bonds are broken, Philippians 3.19, for many, Paul says, our God is our stomach. But when we fast, it gives us a weakness in order to know God more. So that Paul would say in 2 Corinthians 12, I am content in weakness for Christ's sake, not my sake, for Christ's sake. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. And so when we're fasting for a day or we're skipping a meal and we're praying more, we're not trying to get by on our own strength, but we're hungry to turn towards God, more faith would grow in us. We learn that we have a strength greater than human strength and bondage gets broken. If you're finding yourself enslaved by something, friends, might you try fasting to break the chains? And finally, number three, fasting leads to abundant life. So when we as a church, when we practice re-embracing things like fasting or Sabbath, when we practice saying no to things, what we're literally doing is we're saying, God, I want you to be my sole provider. I want more of the abundant life. And it's not more busyness, more food, never hungry. No, I'm going to deprive myself in a small season and turn more towards prayer because fasting leads to the abundant life. And abundant life is found in Christ alone. And so... We can kind of understand this intellectually, but church, I want to challenge you. It's more than cerebral. Will you listen and will you practice this? Can I challenge you? Some of you are like, yeah, I am already practicing. I'm going to take the challenge. Many of us, though, as a church, we're not doing this real well. And so some tips I want to give you here if you're going to kind of take the fasting challenge. If you're going to take the challenge, first discern if you are able Discern if medically, if you are able to do this, and only if you are able. For some people, because of diabetes or because of current relationship with food, it wouldn't be healthy in your spiritual life. If that's you, then all right, then step away from it. God understands that. He's not going to give you a yoke that's going to bear you down. So if if it's not healthy for you in the season, then don't do it. Secondly, start small. Even skipping a meal can allow you to grow your faith. As long as when you're hungry, then you pray. Every prayer turning towards hunger. God, I want more of you in my life. Start small. 
Second, or thirdly, just do it. In the words of Nike, it feels crazy until you do it. And for most in the room that haven't been practicing, it feels like kind of graduate level work when we're still trying to get through whatever lower level we're at. It's not so. No, common, ordinary people are, are given the opportunity to fast in order to allow their faith to grow. Fourth, it's easier together. And often it's easier together or else we won't do it at all. So as a couple or as roommates, or as a small group, as an accountability partner, might you take the challenge to fast? Might you take the challenge to say, hey, could we do this together? I'll need, I'll need you to walk with me if I'm going to be able to do it. And then fifth, pray often. This is really the secret. You'll need God's strength to make it through the fast in order to grow faith. And so every hunger needs to turn to prayer. If you're just finding yourself like I was on that float plane dock, more angry, more disconnected, you know, that didn't actually grow my faith that day until I learned to pray more. Pray, pray, pray. And drink lots of water or juice or coffee if you're a big coffee fan. So I used to fast and then just feel miserable from a caffeine headache or something. So may we as a church take that challenge. Hey, we actually do the stuff that the church has always done. We're not above it. And these are tools to help us to grow our faith. And then we are called as God's people. That's our inhale discipline. Our exhale discipline is this spiritual discipline of service. Spiritual discipline of service. Now, as I was preparing this week, I want to start here that, that we've done this pretty well as a church. We, uh, you know, what Christ's servants do is they follow him as they serve others. They love others. Like, we've done that. Seven years ago, this church started. We had two trailers. We had chairs. If, if literally, if there wasn't dozens of volunteers, from the beginning, this church wouldn't be. We've said from the beginning, the church isn't a building, it's a people. We've had water bottles. We've had t-shirts. Be the church, we said. And all the time, it's good. It's good. Let's, let's go and let's love other people. There's 200 kids coming a week. It's amazing. We, once, we, we did a worship service with a Baptist church once. And at the end of the service, the, the pastor of their church, I had preached, their church pastor did the benediction. As he got up to do the benediction, what baby cried in the back row. And he started to weep. And he said, do you know how long it's been since a child cried in the sanctuary? Well, we've been blessed abundantly. There's kids crying everywhere. Right? So, we, yeah, yeah, you know, I, I pass out cards, serve more, help with our kids, you know, coat drive. There's people literally cold in our community. This isn't for an intellectual exercise. We are called to participate in the act of God. Let's go. Let's do stuff. There was, a, there was a strip club, and then it was a decrepit heroin site, and then we made a coffee shop. You were there. It's good. Let's do stuff together. But what we fail to do at times what we fail to do is, is, is just slow down. Because for some of us in the room, we're so tired of doing stuff. And we're so tired of a gospel that feels like in a modern church, it's very works righteousness. And unless I bring that coat, unless I serve that muffin, unless I hold that child, then somehow I'm missing God's best in my life. And church, I, I need us, I'm kind of going to go about this backwards. There's going to be no cards today. There's no call to action for coats or kids. Or... Now, before we, before we do acts of service, we need to find ourselves really dwelling in the life of Christ inside of us. And if there's times where you've heard from me, do more stuff. This morning, I want to confess that that was never my intention. There's this beautiful story in the book of John that I've been 
I've just been uh, encouraged, challenged by, in the book of John, John 21, it's an incredible story. You can look at it yourself. After the resurrection, Jesus goes seeking his disciples. They're back doing their old things. Peter is stuck in shame. He's denied Christ. They're out fishing. They fish all night. You know me. I love a good fishing story. There's 153 fish. And then Jesus calls them. He calls his best friends. And, and they, have, they have abundance. They've done stuff. They're tired. They've worked all night long. And, and Jesus has, has told them how to be successful. But then he says, you know, he says, come on in. And there's a fire going. And then on the fire is already fish and bread. He's already ready to feed them. Though they've done work and there's so much work to do to process all that fish. Jesus says, before you do stuff, I want you to come and spend time with me. And so if you just put your mind in with these broken, shameful tired disciples who are hungry for more hope in their life, Jesus says, gather yourself around the fire, friends, and I want to be with you. I'm going to feed you. Nothing you've done will earn your right to be here, but I have earned the right. I have beaten death. I've been here because I came looking for you. And until you find yourself around the fire with Christ, and until you find yourself spending time in intimacy with him, you're just going to be busy. And from that place around the fire, Jesus looks, and he looks at Peter, and they finished eating the meal that Jesus provided. Don't miss that. Jesus said to Peter, Simon, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord. You know I love you. Jesus says, feed my lambs. Again, Simon, do you love me? Yes. You know I love you. And Jesus says, take care of my sheep. The third time he said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know. Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked him a third time. And Jesus said again, feed my sheep. But what disciples do when they're part of the family of faith? Oh, yeah, they, they're sheep to be fed. There, there's, there's people to be tended to. There's children that need help and coats that need to be delivered. But if we don't spend time with Jesus Christ in our own interior spaces, soaking up the warmth of that fire and feeding on the, on the food he provides. How do we do that again? Well, we fast and we pray and we open the Bible, spend time in fellowship, we confess sin and we say, Jesus, I want, I want more of you. Jesus said, place yourself around the fire and from that place, then I will send you out into the world to serve others. If we, don't, if we don't do that, then we're just out here kind of in a works righteousness. And there is a distinction between doing services and being a servant. And we can become really busy doing services, but ultimately, if we're just doing stuff, we never give up control of our life. But Jesus says, the, the disciples I'm hoping to build are servants on a mission to love other people, totally content that Jesus is going to put people in our path each and every day that we get to share his light with. This is what the servant-like life looks like. And of course, when we're in unity with Christ, after we've been around the fire from place, that man, oh, now we're talking? There's so much that needs to be done in this world. There's so many people that need to know that they belong to a high king. A former church saint from the early antiquity, Bernard of Clairvaux, said, Learn the lesson that if you are to do the work of a prophet, what you need is not a scepter of a king, but a hoe of a gardener. Because it's as we serve that we actually understand more of God's best in our life. It's like a family. 
if you come to my house, I'm not going to make you do any work. Like, you'll come, and most days, like, everything's going to be put away. You'll think, wow, people actually live this clean. And the answer is, no, we don't. Like, we just shoved everything behind closet doors. And there's been this mad dash for hours with my kids. And they're doing the work. They're like, I guess we're hosting people again, huh? We're cleaning the toilets. Exactly. Because when the guests come, the work stops. And when the guests come, we're just present and we talk, whatever. But if you're in my family, if you're part of the family of faith, well, yeah, there are expectations and there's, there's, there's things to do because it's as we exercise our faith that we actually feel like we're part of the family. Now, is that works righteousness? It's not. It's, it's finding ourselves in the story, being fully included to that fire fellowship of John 21 and then stepping out and saying, now I'm going to do the work of the servant because Christ fed me first. He fed me first. When I didn't deserve anything. And of course, I want to tell other people about Christ's love. And so I serve in my school, or I join organizations, or I pray for people, or I'm a repairer of the breach and racial reconciliation. I mean, there's lots to do to lend your voice after we find ourselves around the fire. I just, I want to encourage that that movement first of fellowship proceeds than doing stuff. I was at a fundraiser this week. It seems like it's fundraiser season. And I was talking to this father, and he was telling me his experience with sending his kids to Young Life Camp. Now, very few people, organizations do camping like Young Life. They, they really knock it out of the park, where kids go for a week, and they feel like they understand more of who Christ is. It's beautiful. They do it really well as a ministry. So this was a fundraiser for Edmund's Young Life. And I was talking to this father, and he said, you know, my kids went to camp, and it was great. But their lives didn't change till they went back and served for a month. So they were campers and it was good. But their lives didn't change till they did a month of what's called work crew. And I said, that's interesting. So you're telling me for the week they were the star of the show. There was dance parties and great meal. And literally they didn't lift a finger. But it was as they did the work that something changed. I said, why is that? I'm preaching on service. Like, why is that? He said, you know, when they were up there that month, Cleaning toilets, raking leaves, making meals, doing dishes. They learned that their faith was real. And as they served other people, they understood more of Jesus in their lives. Or to put it another way, they realized what it was like to spend time with Christ. More transformative than the week was the month. Because as we serve, we realize that we belong to a God who loves us abundantly. So a few tips I want to give you as we look at kind of the, the ethos of service here. First is this, serve from the overflow. The scriptures say that out of the overflow of a heart, our mouth speaks. So if you're out doing acts of service without being around the fire, you're serving alone. Secondly, small is real. Oftentimes, small acts for the kingdom make an extraordinary difference in the life of people. You remember the example of Dorcas in Acts 9, just as a you know, making coats and stitching, and a whole community was kind of changed by our love. Small is real. Third, go deep. The best service isn't a once-a-year serve day, but a steady, slow relationship where you can show someone else that you're walking with the love of Jesus Christ. Go deep. Think long-term. And finally this, ask God what he's calling you today. You don't have to move across the world. You can simply say, Jesus, today... 
Who do you want me to be a servant to today, Jesus? Who do you want me to be your hands and feet with today? And believe me, church, he will give you abundant opportunities to serve and be a blessing to him. Recently came across a quote from this guy, Dr. Jay Kessler, who Kessler says this about the church. The church is the hope of our city like no other institution. The church has provided motivation through serving for the most lasting, unselfish, essential, courageous ministries on earth. The church is who started schools in Western civilization. It was the church who created hospitals. It was the church who created halfway houses and orphanages and leprosariums and missions. Do you get it? When we serve, the world's changed. And so as the church, the love of Jesus has motivated us to serve and change the world. And when we do, when we step out in service, lives are changed. And this is the gospel of, uh, of Jesus Christ. He's used the church to, to change entire trajectories of people's lives, Jay Kessler says. You're like, well, who in the world is Jay Kessler? Jay Kessler? You he was a former youth group leader. And then he was the former, former president of Youth for Christ. And then he was the president of Taylor University. And then he wrote about 20 books about service and impacting the lives of others. But before all that, Jay Kessler, Dr. Jay, was just a disinterested high school in a country church. Raised in the church, but outside the faith. Because if we're honest, many kids raised in the church are disinterested in the faith until they have someone in their life that pays attention to them. To unpack the long, slow relationship with Jesus Christ. And Dr. Jay, long before... Before he was changing the world, he was a disinterested kid that an older college student showed by being a volunteer in a Sunday school class, showed the love of Jesus Christ. This volunteer, random guy named Buzz. Buzz was a college student and Jay was not Dr. Jay, he was a high school kid. Buzz. And if you've been coming here for a while, you're like, oh, I, I think I know a Buzz. He's a servant. He opens the doors each and every week. He doesn't give the message. He models the love of Christ as he opens doors for people. Buzz, 60 years ago, changed a young man's life as he served someone else. And church, you will never know. You'll never qualify exactly when you serve what will happen. We would love to get a glimpse. Is any of this making any difference? You'll never, never know. Because sometimes the little Jay, the disinterested kid that you're showing the love of Jesus... They become Dr. J and change entire generations. May we serve well. But may we be servants who first spent time with Christ, though our entire ministry speaks not of our efforts, but of Christ himself. And may we continue to take the challenge of some of these spiritual disciplines to awaken our faith. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this church and its ministry in our community. And we thank you, Jesus, that it's your, it's your gospel that we get to tell. It's your saving grace. Lord Jesus, we, we pray that for people in this room that have been uh, maybe a stranger to fasting, that you might allow them small and tangible ways in the week ahead to, to try fasting, to skip a little something, and then turn that hunger to prayer, and may the hunger evoke more faith in you, God, in our lives. Lord, you've given us fasting not to weigh us down or for the spiritually elite, but for the each and every, the every man and every woman in the congregation. And continue to remind us, Lord, that everything we do in service really flows out of the heart of the servant, you, Jesus, who gave your life for us, that we would, in losing our life, we would discover that real greatness comes in loving other people in your name. May we continue to be a church serving others. We love you, Jesus, for this opportunity. In your name we pray. Amen.
It's Communion Sunday. As you stand and we close in song, we have communion stations on the side. And here at Bethany North, communion is open for anyone. Uh, the bread is all gluten-free. When the time is right, we'll be singing, and you'll take a, bread, a, a piece of the gluten-free bread and dip it in the juice. We'll have servants there in just a minute. When we practice communion as a congregation, it's not for the spiritual elite. It's for every one of us saying, I'm a sinner saved by grace. Because on the night in which he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread, he broke it, he said, this is my body, eat. And then he took a cup and he said, this is the blood of the new covenant poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. And so when we approach that table, we say, Lord Jesus, I'm hungry. Be the Lord of my life. Will you stand with me here and stand with us? I want to just pray over our elements and we'll close in song. Lord God, thank you so much for the gift of communion. We pray now as, as the juice and the bread is, uh, is spread, Lord, that your faith would grow in us. We are hungry. We do want more faith. We do want to grow. Lord God, write a big story in our lives. In your name we pray. Amen. Finally, I just remind you that at the end of the service, there'll be prayer ministers up in the top back that would love to pray with you. Let's close in song. The communion stations are now open.